Well, friends, we are uh, to the last week of a sermon series that we began uh, well, quite a while ago, back in September, and we have been walking our way through the upper room discourse with Jesus. Let me orient you, if you have not been with us all along, and uh, what we've been kind of covering, get that out of the way. Um, Jesus is with his disciples, it's the night before his death. And he has gathered them in a room that they've gotten. Somebody has loaned it to them, so they're borrowing it. He's there with his 12 disciples to really celebrate the Passover meal, which is a, a Jewish holiday or a Jewish tradition. He gets them all together for that, and there's fireworks from the beginning because Jesus walks in. Uh, there's nobody there that are the normal attendants in the house. And so everybody looks and like, you know, hey, we all have dirty feet. Normally there'd be a servant here to wash our feet, but that's below us. And so we all walk in. Jesus is like, huh, nobody's here to do that. Let me go ahead and take on the role of the servant. And he puts on the towel as a slave and washes all the disciples' feet and says, I've just done something for you that's an example of what it means to be great in the kingdom. This is what it means to be a servant. So they're all kind of taken aback by that. No, no more than they're just going through that. And they're like, whoa, Jesus calls out, one of you is a traitor. One of you is going to betray me tonight. And they're all like, who could that be? And Jesus hands the morsel of food to the one who's betraying him. It's Judas Iscariot. Judas Iscariot exits real quickly, and there's just drama in the room. And so Jesus then begins to teach the disciples about what it's going to mean for them to be without him. He's telling them, I'm leaving you, and is forecasting again his death that's going to happen the next day. And so he's preparing his disciples for that moment. He's going to talk in this whole series of speeches to them or this one speech with different topics. He's going to talk to them about persecution that's coming. He's going to talk to them about the Holy Spirit and the role of the Holy Spirit. And we've covered the role of the Holy Spirit now twice in this upper room discourse. He's going to talk about the fact that he wants them to abide in him. He wants to remain in him as a, a vine in the branches as we covered. And there's all of these topics that he's covered with them on this night. And now we come to the final section of his, his speech that night. And it's no mistake that Jesus ends in prayer. That's the way he ends this speech to them is he ends in prayer. And not just him going away to pray, but him praying in front of them. That's what he does. He wants them to see him pray and hear what he prays. And if, it were, if you were, this is really a model prayer, as it were, that he's teaching his disciples. Prayer has been called the oxygen of the human soul. No disciple can exist without prayer. It's if you don't have it, you're going to wither and die or your soul will wither and die. Uh, one Christian said, uh, Martin Luther, not Martin Luther King Jr., but Martin Luther the Reformer, 1500s, and he said, just as the tailor is meant to make clothes and the cobbler is meant to mend shoes or make shoes, the Christian is meant to pray. That's our business, as it were. It's the life that we lead. And so it's no mistake, again, that Jesus is going to end this famous passage, the Upper Room Discourse, with prayer, and he's going to model to us what prayer looks like. This is traditionally called the high priestly prayer. And if some of you have your Bibles open or maybe your app is open, you'll notice that's even the topic or the title of this whole section, the high priestly prayer. It's been studied, it's been preached on, and the structure of it is so easy. In fact, if you read it, you'll just go, whoa, man, there it is. 
And I want to make sure you know that because that's the way I'm going to walk through this today. Here is the structure. Jesus prays for three different groups. It's so simple. He prays for himself. He prays for his disciples. And he prays for what he calls future disciples. In fact, I want to give you a little graphic. If you're wondering about how this all works, again, Jesus prays for himself. He prays for his disciples. And he prays for his future disciples. And that's the way that we're going to make our way through this section. As we walk through each of those sections, we're going to find out what Jesus does in each one of those sections in prayer. But more importantly, I want to use this as the structure of prayer for us. So we're going to translate the prayer that Jesus had with his disciples 2,000 years ago, and we're going to say, okay, how do we use that as a model for us to pray today? How might we do that together? And so that's what we're going to be doing. I'm going to be in John chapter 17, 1 to 26. I've got that passage up here. And rather than read it all at once, today I'm going to actually be making my way through this section uh, unit by unit. Those three sections I told you about, we're going to pray, we're going to read that, and then ha have an opportunity to find out what Jesus does in prayer in each one of those sections. And I want to also forecast to you something else that we're going to do here today. The something else that we're going to do is we're going to translate that into our language. So Jesus prays for himself, his disciples, future disciples. How would that translate if we were making that ours today? Here's the concentric circles that I'm going to be using for us. We're praying for ourselves. That's where Jesus starts. Good place for us to start. We're going to pray for our disciples, which would be, I'm going to argue, our immediate family. And then we're going to pray for those future disciples. Uh, in Jesus' case, it was the disciples yet to come. In our case, it's going to be what I'm going to call extended family. So I'm giving you the outline of what we're going to follow today, just so you have that in front of you. I'll be referring back to that again but I'm forecasting where we're going today, and I hope that's helpful for you. All right, the very first thing Jesus does, verses 1 to 5, is he prays for himself. Here's the way that John records it. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence when the glory that I had with you before the world existed. You'll notice there that there's a common word that's used five times, it was hard to miss it, and that word was glory or glorify. And we don't use that word a whole lot today. It's kind of a religious word if we glorify something. Let me remind you of what that word means. It literally means to honor and praise something to an extreme degree. To honor or praise something or someone to an extreme degree. Let me translate into the language that's just kind of modern day. It means to make a big deal out of something. That's what it means, to make a big deal out of something. Now, my wife makes a triple berry pie that is to be glorified, all right? I mean, it's, it's fantastic. And our pastor back in Colorado said, if Jesus was going to have one pie, this would be the one that he would want. I mean, it was, that, it was that good, all right? And so, again, it's easy to make a big deal out of that because it's exceptional. And maybe you've tasted something like that or used something that's extra special or been somewhere that is, you know, something you want to make a big deal out of. 
Can I get serious for a second? I mean, actually, you know, that's probably not even worthy of the same category of glory that we're talking about or Jesus is talking about. Jesus is talking like this. He's saying, do you know anybody else who could make the earth and the entire universe? There's only one like that. That's worthy of glory. It's worthy of making a big deal out of that that kind of person with that power. Do, Do you know anybody else who has the power to lead a perfect life and to take the sins of the world upon himself? There's only one that we know like that. And that's the person that's worthy of glory. It's worthy of being making a big deal out of that. And so again, Jesus is saying here, I am wanting, Father, to glorify you, but I'm asking you to glorify me. In other words, I want to make a big deal, or I want you to make a big deal out of my sacrifice, my, my pursuit of the cross. Make a big deal out of that, Father, so that the world will make a big deal out of you. We are one in this. Glorify me that I may glorify you. He also prays and says, Father, I thank you for the eternal life that I've been able to give to the ones you gave me. And I've extended eternal life to them. And he says, what is eternal life? If you're ever wondering, Jesus defines eternal life right here. What is eternal life? You might say, and I would be tempted to say it's living forever. Jesus says, oh, no, 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 no. There's something deeper about eternal life that you need to understand. It is knowing the true God and Jesus whom he has sent. That's what Jesus says, this passage. And so it's an eternal relationship. That's what Jesus wants to get across, is it's a relationship that's lasting over eternity, but that's what anchors it all down, is knowing the the person of God and knowing Jesus whom he has sent. And he says, that's what I have done with the disciples that you have given me. So here we are. Jesus is praying the first portion of his model prayer, and he prays for himself, how would we translate that to our own situation if we're going to pray for ourselves? Would we start off by saying, Father, I want to come to you this morning, glorify me. No, that's just a record scratch, isn't it? Why? Well, because you're not the Savior, and you don't take the ransom of the whole world upon yourself. You're not capable of that. And so that's where Jesus prays something that we couldn't pray for ourselves. However, we can do something else that's very, very similar. Because we could do this. Father, would you use my life today that I might glorify you? That we can say. And that would be a great prayer for you to pray When you come to God, I'm thinking about the instances of my life today. And I'm asking you, Father, would you use those in such a way that people would see you, in such a way that people would make a big deal of you because of my life? You're thinking about that meeting you're having. That could be a tense meeting. And you're saying, Father, could, could you use that instance in order that I might glorify you, that people might see you in the way that I treat them? That would be a great thing for you to think about those instances in your life, that day that you're praying what's in front of you and that you're asking God, use that. Maybe you're going to use some of your gifts and talents in order that others may be cared for in some way. I will tell you this. Denise and I, as my mom passed away two weeks ago this yesterday, we have been flooded 
with cards and, and gifts and phone calls and, and meals and flowers. And our, you know, we're just feeling loved and just poured upon by the church body and many that even not in this room, that some that are in other places, that they have just demonstrated care. And here's what I have to tell you. Those individuals, some of you, have done that and we have received that as a gift from God and that's to the glory of God that those, those exercises of faith have been done. Maybe that's what you're saying is, Lord, I want to think this week, I want to think today about how you've given me the opportunity, much like Jesus had the opportunity to impart something to his disciples, you've had the opportunity because of God's grace to impart something to somebody else and therefore you're glorifying God. You always start with yourself, at least Jesus' example indicates that, because you care for yourself in order that you might be able to care for some others. John Piper, I love John Piper. I'm a John Piper fan. I have followed him for so many years. I think he's one of the great pastors of the last 50 years. John Piper's written a whole lot. And by the way, John Piper uses a portion of the high priestly prayer here for his own prayer life. And he always starts with himself. And this is what John Piper says. He says, I pray for my own soul first. Not because I'm more deserving than others, but because if God doesn't awaken and strengthen and humble and fill my soul, then I can't pray for anybody else's. So I plead with the Lord every morning for my soul's perseverance, purification, and power. What, what a great thing to say. What a great thing to use in prayer. I'm going to wake up in the morning and I'm going to pray, God, would you help my soul to persevere? Would you help my soul to be purified? Would you help my soul to be power-filled because I want to glorify you. And so we start off, as Jesus did, in our own lives, praying for ourselves. Second is prayer for his disciples. We're picking up in verse 6, and this is the longest portion of the passage. This is what John writes. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours." All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them, and I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I'm coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they uh, may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, Judas Iscariot that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I'm coming to you and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world just as I'm not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world nor uh, just as I'm not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And you sent me into the world, so I send them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, but they also may be sanctified in truth. So Jesus is going to pray for his disciples. 
And there's three broad categories that he's going to pray into. First, he's going to pray for the words that he gave them from God. He's going to pray for the word of God that's been invested on the inside of them. Remember, Jesus said in the previous portions of, a, of the Upper Room Discourse that he didn't say a word to them that the Father first didn't say to him. So he's a conduit from the words of God straight to his disciples, straight from the Father. And so he's saying, I've given them your words. He says, secondly, I have guarded them. I'm leaving now. And so I'm asking you, Father, if you would guard them while I'm gone, and I want you to provide protection for them from the world that is caustic and is wanting to constantly persuade them to move away from you, give them protection from the evil one. And third, he prays for them to be sanctified. Now, again, this word sanctify, a religious word, uh, one that we don't use very often, means to set aside for a holy purpose. That's what sanctify means. And he's saying, Father, I want you to take and sanctify my disciples. Set them aside for holy purposes. Now, in the Old Testament especially, everything that was sanctified was something related to God's use. Arguably, the temple was one of the main places where you use sanctified articles. You put those articles into the temple for only holy purposes, only sacred purposes, and that's where they rested. Sometimes people were sanctified and set aside for holy purposes. For instance, Moses. Right now, the staff and I are working our way through the book of Exodus, and Moses at the burning bush is sanctified for a holy purpose. What is that purpose? He doesn't know it yet, but he's going to be used by God to release the Jewish uh, slaves from Egypt, and he's going to be a, a one who's sanctified for those purposes. So those are the three things that, God is, that Jesus is praying to the Father about. I've given them your word, I want you to guard them, and I want you to sanctify them, or set them aside for holy purposes for you. All right, how would we make that a transition to our own prayer lives? First of all, we don't have 12 disciples, or a few of us, I think, do, but we do have an immediate core of people that we're involved with on a day-in and day-out basis, and those are individuals that I'm going to call just friends and family. In fact, I've got the diagram up here. It's your immediate family, your friends, your coworkers, your neighbors, other individuals that are normally just a part of your everyday life. That's category two for us. For Jesus, it was disciples. For us, it's this group of immediate family people around us. And how would we use Jesus' prayer in prayer for them? Well, first of all, we would pray for his word to be in them. And again, what we're saying is, Father... I'm praying this morning, and I want you to use your word in the lives of people around me that I care the most about. I want to make sure that they understand from your word who you are and who Jesus is, and so give me opportunities to do that. If you're a parent with us right now and you've got little ones, you pray every day and say, Lord, how am I going to show what you're like to my children uh, from the scriptures? Maybe you're going to set aside a time at night where you have a simple Bible story that you read together. Maybe you're going to teach the very fundamentals about prayer to your children because you're saying, I want the word of God to be transmitted to them. Grandmas and grandpas, you're not exempt from that either. You're praying for opportunities for that. When the kids are going to be coming over, the grandkids are going to be coming over, you're going to be saying, how is it that I create a sphere, an atmosphere in which that is lifted up, that's honored, and your word is deposited into the lives of the people that I care the most about. You're also going to be praying, Lord, guard them. 
There's so many aspects of this world that want to discourage them, deceive them, take them away. And so you're saying, Lord, I am asking that you guard them, keep them away from the evil one that is wishing to shipwreck them. Think about this. When you take kids, you put them on a bicycle, and there's something you do before you do that. You put a helmet upon them. Or if they're getting ready to use a skateboard, you put a helmet upon them. That's just a safety measure to guard them in case there is some kind of a fall or an accident. And you're saying, in my immediate family, these people around me that I love so much, I'm asking that, Lord, you'd guard them, that you'd put a helmet upon them that's going to guard them from the things that are going to attempt to take them away from you or somehow destroy their faith. And third, I want to sanctify them I want to set them aside for holy purposes. And so especially, again, for my children, I'm saying, Lord, I want them to know you. And I want them to know the sacred calling that you have upon their lives. Paul prayed it for the book, for the group in Colossae, and through the book of Colossians. Colossians 1.9, this is what Paul prays. And for this reason, since the day we heard about you, we've not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will, through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way. What a great thing for you to pray for individuals that are in that closest sphere around you that they would be sanctified, they would be set aside for holy purposes. Let me give you an example here. We're coming up on Thanksgiving. It's just a few days away. And I don't know about your family, but my family still has some china that was given to us by mom, so grandma's china, and we break that out oftentimes at Thanksgiving, and the silver, and that's for a sacred purpose. It's for the Thanksgiving meal, maybe the Christmas meal, maybe the Easter meal, but you don't see that, that, that just the flatware and all, all those uh, things that you use for eating, you don't see those any other time except for that year. Now, can you imagine taking grandma's gravy boat and catching some oil out of the car in it? No, you, you, you would never do that because that's a sacred thing. It's only used for the purposes of, of eating and something that's even a special meal at that. Can you imagine taking one of grandma's nice silver knives and, you know, the one just right there at the table and you've got that and use that as a screwdriver? You know, no, you, you just don't do it because that's a, a sacred time. That's a sacred thing that you're using and, and it's only got a special purpose. That is what Paul is conveying here about the individuals that are in your sphere that you're praying would be sanctified, and you're asking, Lord, that they would know their calling, their purpose. Now, again, we're smart enough to know that you have family and I have family. Not all of them know the Lord. And they're not going to bypass my prayers. I'm going to pray for those individuals. But I'm probably not going to pray some of the things that I just talked about there. I'm certainly going to pray for the opportunity for the Word of God to flood into their lives. Certainly would love them to be guarded from evil. But as far as them knowing their sacred purpose, they got to know Jesus first. So I'm going to pray probably something more around Paul. You remember Paul? Paul the apostle is known as Saul before he's Paul. And he's on a mission. And his mission is to get the pesky Christians who keep on talking about this strange Jesus and stop them, jail them, arrest them. And so he's on his way to Damascus, a far spot from Jerusalem where he is, in order to persecute more Christians. And Jesus catches him on his journey, blinds him, throws him to the ground, and takes him into Damascus where he meets a man named Ananias. 
Ananias with some reluctance, Lord, is this right? Places his hands upon Paul, and Paul has what appears to be scales from his eyes that fall away. If you have some individuals in your life, your immediate context that you know well and don't know Jesus, you might be praying, Lord, what would it take for scales to fall from their eyes? Because that's what I would want. That's what, that's what would be the best for them, is if they would come to the knowledge of you and the scales would literally fall from their eyes. All right, there's one more that I want you to see. Jesus prays for himself. Jesus prays for his disciples. And then he prays for his future disciples. That's the third group. And uh, you, Jesus is envisioning his disciples are going to go tell others, and there's going to be more disciples. He you know, can see those in his mind's eye of what's going to be on the horizon, and he's trying to prepare his disciples. You're going to go out with this message, and there's other going to be other people believe, and those are the individuals that I want to pray about in this third category. I'm starting in verse 20. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may be all one, just as Father are you, as Father, you are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I give, have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them, even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundations of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you. And these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name and will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Jesus envisions again these future disciples that will be coming. And he says, this is what I want to pray for them. And he says it three times, in case you missed it, I want to pray that they are going to be one. He even says at one point, perfectly one. And so he's saying, I want their unity more than anything else because the world is looking at the church and Jesus says, the world is going to know the world is going to know who I am because of the blank that you have with one another. The world's going to know who I am because of your tolerance of each other. No, no, no. The world's going to know who you are because of, my, of your great judgment in all things sinful. No, no, no. That's not what he says. The world's going to know that you're my disciples because of your Bible knowledge. No, no, no. The world's going to know you're my disciples by your fill in the blank love for one another. That, that's what's going to be the calling card, is your love for one another. And your lives, again, are on display, and chances are good that you have experienced some church hurt at some point, or you know somebody else who has. And you know that if you've experienced any of that, you know that Christians have treated each other rather poorly, and you've been watching that, and, and that has not attracted you at all to the gospel, or it's not attracted you to the church. And so you can understand why Jesus would say, I'm asking that unity exists in the church. I'm asking for that because that's one of the ways that I'm drawing people unto myself is by the ways that you treat each other. We're coming upon a season in which we could really be torn apart. 
every time we enter into another presidential cycle, I just hold my breath. Because it's not just divisive this year for our country, it's potentially divisive for the church. And so how do we keep a unity with each other that transcends those things like even politics around us? What are some other things that could really challenge our unity? Greed could challenge and tear us apart. Selfishness can tear us apart and challenge us. Pride can challenge us and tear us apart. Jesus says, I want them to be one just as the Father and Jesus are one. And so again, let's translate that into our family, into our own lives. Uh, Jesus says, I'm praying for these future disciples. What would be our category? Our category would be what I'm calling extended family. And I've got the diagram up here again for you in case you need to kind of see the concentric circles. Give me the next slide. There it is. So we're praying for ourselves. We're praying for our immediate family. And now we're praying for what I'm calling our extended family. And that's anybody that's not in my day-to-day life, but that I have some sort of relationship with that I care still about. That could be some kind of maybe a community leader. It could be some leaders in the church that you don't know as well. They're not in your normal rhythm of life. It could be individuals that are in other states. It could be individuals that are in other countries. So it's it's those individuals that are extended family that God has allowed you to be somehow in relationship with, even if it's not on an everyday basis. So that's the category that may be a little bit different from what Jesus uh, prayed in his prayer, but that matters to us. I will just tell you, Denise and I have two spots in the world now where we are very partial to some people. It's Cuba and Turkey. And we have individuals there that we have been in relationship with now and we see periodically. We you know, see each other in, in maybe a texting or, or email. Uh, one of them is Pastor Umut that you met last June from the, the, from the church in uh, Izmir, Turkey. And uh, again, he's a guy that I pray for very regularly. He's a guy that his, his church I pray for, Caritas Church in Izmir, I pray for. And it's an example of this extended family that you're praying for in your prayers. And you're saying, God, I, I care for these people. And I regularly pray for their unity, that they may be one, that they may be demonstrating the unity of the Father and the Son together in the work that they do. And so you're thinking in your minds about this extended family. Jesus ended his teaching with some on-the-job training. He prayed out loud for his disciples to hear. He prayed for himself, he prayed for his disciples, and he prayed for his future disciples. Chances are good that you have some room to improve in your prayer life. I, I know I do, and that's one of the kind of the equalizers, I think, for all of us, is that all of us <laughs> have some room to improve when it comes to prayer. I've spent enough time with men to know that there's sometimes a level of guilt that men have over the amount of time they spend in the scriptures and the prayer, the prayer life that they have. And so I'm always trying to encourage and help and motivate men to say, you can do this. Let's start off here and you can grow. This is like a muscle. You exercise it and it gets better and better. And so perhaps Jesus is inspiring you right now and saying, He's given me some tracks to run on. I get this. I can pray like Jesus does to pray for myself, to pray for my immediate family, to pray for my extended family. I can do that. And so he's given us a way to go about this that might be very practical and helpful to you. I love what Richard Trench says. He's a famous Anglican bishop. And he said, prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance. In other words, God is not waiting in heaven right now very reluctant to listen to anything you have to say or very reluctant about anything you want to offer. No, prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance. It's laying hold of his highest willingness. 
His desire is to meet you. His desire is to communion with you. His desire is to respond to the deepest needs of your life. As simple as they might be to you, he, he cares about those things. They matter to him. And so God is this father who's ready and just eager to meet us. And that's exactly what Jesus has demonstrated to us in this passage. Jesus has shown us what this intimacy looks like with the Father. And he said, you know what? I'm going to end my speech to you by doing something I want you to see. I'm going to pray in front of you. And it's going to be a model of prayer for you that you can do in your own life too. Jesus Jesus knows that God wants to meet us and he wants to talk to all of us. And that's why he models this for us. And what intimately in prayer, intim- intimacy in prayer really looks like, he invites us to do the same. Will you meet him with that invitation? Will you meet him with that challenge? And perhaps these categories will make some sense for the next time you come to God, maybe even today. Let's, let's pray together. Father, thank you for this model of prayer. We love it because it's so simple. It's something we can do. And we thank you that you took this time, even on the eve of your death, most of us would have just been cowering in a corner somewhere, but you knew your disciples needed one more demonstration of something they'd need in life, and so you prayed right in front of them before you marched off to be arrested. Thank you for that. Fill us now with your Holy Spirit. Use your simple words that they may inspire us to do the same. We want to know you. We want to glorify and honor you. We want our church to be a place where you are tangible, where you're known, and love is expressed freely. So use us in this moment and stimulate us to have a deeper life of prayer with you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.